All right. I don't even know where to tell you to turn. Okay. Have your notes open. All right. Here we go. We have, um, we have been working on this problem for a while. Obviously, we continue to work on it in the last hour. We don't, I know we have very few answers, um, but here's what we've established so far. The thing that we've established so far is that the Bible clearly teaches that we're going to be judged according to our works. There's no denying that. That's clearly taught. The solution pro pro uh, you know, proposed by most evangelical Protestant world is that that's not a problem, and the reason it's not a problem is because, according to them, what proves that we're saved are works. And they have argued now uh, multiple times that these works serve as what kind of proof? Infallible proof. In fact, we learned from the MacArthur Commentary what is subjective Faith alone, right? Everybody remember that statement? Okay, do I need to read it again? Okay, I think we got it, right? And what's objective? The godly works the Holy Spirit produces, all right? And this, this, there's some problems here. I mean, there's countless problems. So, I want to continue in the commentary, but this is what we're going to do. Since, obviously, the argument is that works prove that we're saved, then what we're going to do is we're going to go to the sermon that I started referencing, a sermon has been on the app now for a while. I posted four of them. And the reason I posted all four parts is because I want the, the side that argues, hey, your works prove your salvation, I want them to be heard. I'm not, I'm not afraid of opposing views. I'm not one of those like, oh, I'm only going to put on the app what I agree with. I don't do that because I like you to hear opposing thoughts because I believe that you should be treated as an adult who can think and be able to determine and hear conflicting ideas. I'm not one of those, I've got to protect people and like, you only listen to what agrees with us. That's, I think that's nonsense. Um, and I think that that's not uh, the way it should work. Truth will always win. Truth always wins. And if you're afraid of asking hard questions in order to find truth, or if your faith can't handle hard questions, then your faith is pretty much pathetic and weak and useless because it should be able to handle the hard questions. So what we're going to do is we're going to work. We're not going to go through all four parts of the sermons because I think at some point it becomes just redundant and a waste of time. But I want to at least work through the first sermon um, and we're going to go through this. I have it in uh, written form. Um, I didn't take everything from it. I cut and paste what you know I thought was uh, pertinent. And the reason I did that is because the sermon is available for everyone to listen to. I'm not trying to hide anything. Um, and what we're going to try to do is go, okay, this uh, MacArthur preached the sermon, and we've been reading from MacArthur's commentary, and he's obviously one who believes that your works prove whether you are saved or not saved. So we're going to listen to him offer up, what's the evidence then? Right? If, to say works prove you're saved, that's generic. I need to know what works. So we're going to see what works he offers up as proof uh, that you can know for sure if you're saved. And remember, he's making an argument that these, uh, this test will be what? Infallible. All right, that's, that's good to know. It's amazing that uh, Protestants have infallible things too, huh? Yeah, 
yeah, yeah. And, and yeah, the, the, it's funny that we have a, something that's supposedly infallible, but it's infallible off our judgment. Uh, it's just the whole thing. Uh, we could get into a whole philosophical discussion there, but we won't. All right, here is how he begins, all right? I want us to turn to 1 John. So everyone turn to 1 John. Now, this whole argument he's going to use in 1 John is based off a presupposition, all right? I don't know if you know this. There's a presupposition. The presupposition is that 1 John serves as a test book. And if you want to know if you're saved, you read 1 John. 1 John is going to prove to you whether you are saved or unsaved. I am saying that's a presupposition, right? It's a presupposition because we could, uh, we could argue, is that a correct interpretation of the book or a wrong interpretation? It's the interpretation almost everyone's been taught. Everyone, everyone seems to be, oh, here's what drives me crazy about this. Pro, many Protestants will argue 1 John is a test book, but I don't think they take the test very seriously. Because if they did, they would probably conclude the book by claiming that, that I'm not saved. <laughs> okay, right? but no one, or they would be radically changing their lifestyle to reflect what 1 John seems to indicate. But we'll, we'll get there, see where he goes here. All right, everybody ready? All right, I want us to turn to 1 John because in 1 John we have a very positive presentation. These are objective tests. There we go. Now we know why he uses the word objective in the sermon because he used the word objective in the commentary to say that what's objective? Your, no, your actions, your, your works. And now this, this test is going to be the objective way to, to, to determine this, all right? These are objective tests to see if I'm a true Christian. And if I pass the test, I can enjoy my eternal salvation with assurance. So we can make an argument. Would you like this morning to have assurance that you are saved? Everyone should say, all right, all you need to do this morning is pass the following test. That sounds good, doesn't it? I'm, now remember, I already have problems with this. Because this is making my assurance based off what? I've said this now in every sermon that I've preached on this subject so far. It's making me the test of my assurance. It's making me. I don't like that. Because Christianity constantly tells me that I can't. And Jesus did. Now this reverses that and says it's about me. I don't want to look to me. I want to look to the perfect sacrifice. I can trust the perfect sacrifice. It's outside of myself. It doesn't change. I change all the time. I don't like this. So, and again, they say that we can have assurance at best. If we say that there's a certain test and that test looks at your actions, could we not all agree logically that your assurance could only last could only last after each, like, it's only good for the, the conclusion of that test. Like, I'm good to, I, I passed the test today. You would have to retake the test tomorrow to see if you can still have, so you'd have to test yourself every day. Right? Wouldn't that be a logical conclusion? I, I think so. I, I, I would argue that that's the case. All right, All right here we go. Um, the Apostle John by, by the way, with this epistle, is concerned about the same issue he's concerned... Uh, oh, let me read this again. The Apostle John, by the way, 
with this epistle is concerned about the same issue. He's concerned about true salvation. He's concerned about assurance. And so in his first epistle, he gives us a number of tests so that, that you can apply to your own life and you can know that you're genuinely saved. All right. Are you getting the point? All right. Now, he's going to state these tests in a series of questions. And as he states it, a series of questions that plunge us into the rich book and lead us to the joy of assurance based on the reality that we are saved. Right? Again, this is all you can be sure, you can be sure, you can be sure. It sounds so wonderful, right? It sounds positive. I'm going to argue this is about as negative as it can be. Right? But we'll see. All right, here we go. Um, and he's going to do this in a series of questions uh, and that plunges into the rich book. All right. Question number one. Um, and he goes, I, and these are, I believe, what is in the heart of John as he writes. Question number one to ask yourself if you want to get in touch with the reality of your spiritual condition. Here's question number one. Have you enjoyed fellowship with Christ and the Father? Have you enjoyed fellowship with Christ and the Father? He repeats himself. That is an essential element in true salvation. All right, everybody see that? Now, he wants us to be in 1 John. Here we go. He's going to quote 1 John chapter 1, verse 2. All right. Everybody there? Amen? Okay. Uh, chapter 1, verse 2. That which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that ye also may have fellowship with us and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with his Son, Jesus Christ. Okay. Do what? Oh, that was verse 3? Okay. Yeah, he says verse 2. Let me go back to verse... Yeah, it has to be verse 3. There's no speaking of fellowship in verse 2. He, he says verse 2. It has to be verse 3. I, so I just corrected the sermon on my own. Okay, all right. That's okay. I've stated wrong verses too. So all pastors do that. It's, it's just... You, it happens. All right. So I don't think... Um, I don't think there's any question here on what he's referencing. Agreed? All right. Um, I, I think we can see that. Now, here's what I would ask you. When you read verse 3, in 1 John chapter 1, verse 3, remember he says this is a test, right? What, what do you see in verse 3 and what do you not see in verse 3? Yeah, I don't see test language. Would we agree? Just as agreed so far? No, yes? Okay. Um, and then um, he goes on to say, <clears throat> um, he says, uh, now obviously he's going beyond just the earthly acquaintance, uh, the acquaintance he had with Jesus because he had no such earthly acquaintance with the Father. So at the end of verse 3, when he says our fellowship is not was, is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. He is saying, I am presently, currently enjoying communion with the living Christ and the living God. This is an element in the experience of the truly saved. All right? Now, I do agree. Um, we read it again, uh, verse 3, that which we have seen and heard declare we unto you that ye also may have fellowship with us, and truly our fellowship is with the Father and with His Son, Jesus Christ. There's no argument. He does say is. 
It doesn't say was. I do agree this goes past any earthly relationship the author had with Jesus. I agree. He also mentions the Father. I agree. There's no disagreement there. I would not even disagree that obviously fellowship with God is a part of salvation. I wouldn't disagree with that. The problem is what do I not have yet? I don't have saying this is a test. Because even if it's a test, what would be the next obvious question? How do I judge it? What, 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 how, it, let me ask you a question. If we agree, let's remember we all, what I always do when I disagree with something, what do I do? I agree with it first. So let's agree that fellowship is an essential test to prove if you're saved or not saved. All right? Now, I want you, and just be honest, let's say you, just pretend that you believe it. Yes, fellowship, fellowship with God is a proof that I'm truly saved. All right? Define to me what that looks like. And this is not, I'm not trying to play a trick on you. I want you to really tell me, like, what, what do you think that looks like? Okay, you think prayer proves it? You think part of it? Could someone pray without fellowship? Okay, study of scripture, could study scripture without fellowship? All right, so I need, I need something objective here, right? What does it look like? Is it a feeling? Is it a feeling? Yeah, right? That would be subjective, right? Because how do you know? Remember in Matthew 7? Okay. Okay. Well, in Matthew 7, we have a group of people saying, Lord, Lord, and they seem to obviously think they were saved. They even call him Lord, and they find, we find out they're not. So what does fellowship look like? Let's, let's see if he offers any help here, okay? Um, he also wants us to look at, let me see, does he have another verse here? Yeah, chapter 5, verse 1. 1 John chapter 5, verse 1. Let's look at that. Yes, yeah, that's the next paragraph. All right, 1 John chapter 5, verse 1. Who is the Christ is born of God, and everyone that loveth him that begat loveth him also that is begotten of him. That's a weird verse to quote, don't you agree? All right, but let's see what he says here. Chapter 5, verse 1 points out to us another reference that speaks to the same issue. It says in verse 1, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ is born of God. Whoever loves the Father loves the child born of him. Here John is saying it is characteristic of a believer to love God and to love Christ. That again speaks of relationship. We have fellowship with Christ. We have fellowship with God. We love God. We love Christ. Now he says down in verse 4, Yes, First uh, John chapter 5, verse 4. For whosoever is born of God overcometh the world, and this is the victory that overcometh the world, even our faith. All right? Um, he quotes that, for whatever is born of God, that is, regenerated, born again, redeemed, saved, overcomes the world, and this is the victory that has overcome the world, our faith. And who is the one who overcomes the world? But he who believes that Jesus is the Son of God. When you believe that Jesus is the Son of God, you place your faith in Him. Your faith, 
your faith communion, you no longer commune as your uh, priority point of fellowship with the world, but you commune with the living God in a relationship of love. And I really believe that John here is pointing out to us that it, that it is characteristic, typically of true believers, to have an ongoing loving fellowship with Christ and God. That's essential. That is the base, that is, that is foundational, that is basic to salvation. In fact, in 1 Corinthians 1.9, if you want to turn there, 1 Corinthians 1.9, Paul writes, God is faithful through whom you were called into fellowship with his Son, Jesus Christ our Lord. Everybody see that? 1 Corinthians 1.9, right? The main thing it has, it has the word fellowship in it, right? Okay. Galatians 2.20 says that Christ lives in me and I, and in a very intimate union of common life, right? Now the thought here is that if you're a Christian, you share life with Christ, you share life with God, you commune with them, you have a relationship with them. But there's something very experiential about this. Stop right there. What did he just say? Experiential. Now what's the problem with that? Yeah. Experiential means experience, like feelings. All right. He goes on to say, um, uh, there's something experiential about this. It's not just a fact that we have divine life living in us. There's an experience to be had. Let me remind you of a verse. You remember John 10, 10, where Jesus said, I have come that you may have life and have it, what? More abundantly. What did he mean by that? He had just said, I am come that you might have life. We could, if, he, if he had just said, I am come that we might have life, we could say, well, he put his eternal life in us. In other words, there, that there's a new creation, a new nature. We possess the life of God and the soul of man, and that is a fact. But when he added, and that you might have it more abundantly, he began to talk about a superabounding kind of life. And I think he moved into the dimension of experience, a rich life. A life that causes us to experience joy and peace and love and purpose. Every time you hear somebody in the baptismal waters testify about coming to the knowledge of Jesus Christ, they don't, they don't, stop, they don't stop short and say, well, the fact is, folk, I'm saved, and I'm just here to announce the fact. Inevitably, they will describe to you the feeling. They will describe to you the experience of love and joy and peace and forgiveness and purpose and direction in life. That's the superabounding element of that eternal life. All right. Uh, so then he goes on. Uh, I'll just, I've got to read all of this so that we can see where he's going. The God of all comfort, the, uh, the God of all grace, the God who supplies all your needs according to his riches and glory, and glory by Christ Jesus. The God in whose fellowship we are caused to speak to ourselves in psalms and hymns and spiritual songs singing and making melody in our hearts, the God to whom we come and cry, Abba, Father, like a little child to the one he adores, the God to whom we draw near in times of trouble to seek for mercy, the Christ in whom we find our consolation and our comfort, and in whose love we bask, the Christ whose peace we possess and enjoy. These are the experiences of abundant life. These are the elements of fellowship, and these are the things that so greatly enrich us. Have you experienced them? 
Have you experienced communion with Christ and all of his, its richness? Have you experienced fellowship with God? Have you sensed his presence? Have you experienced that which he ministers through his spirit? Spirit, Do you have in your heart a love for Christ and a love for God that draws you in their presence? That's the question to start with. Have you experienced their power? Have you experienced the sweet communion of prayer, um, the, exhilar the exhilarating joy of talking to the living God? Have you experienced the refreshing, almost overwhelming sense of grace that comes upon you when you discover some rich new truth in the Word? Have you experienced the blessedness of fasting um, in the presence of God? This is fellowship. If you have experienced these things, then you have fellowship with Christ and you have fellowship with God and, and that is the fellowship of salvation and since true salvation is secure, you can enjoy your assurance. All right, that's a lot of flowery language, right? Ooh, that sounds so good. And people in the, in the pews were probably saying amen. That all sounds so good, right? Okay, sounds so good. But when, it, when you sum all of that up, what do you take from that? It's all about what you have experienced, what you have felt, what you feel, right? What you feel. So the first test is the, an experiential test that says you have to feel something. You've got, you know, you, you experience joy, you experience peace, you experience all these wonderful feelings. Okay. Right, that can't be an assurance. Well, first, he, there's nowhere in 1 John that we saw any test language about this, right? Agreed? There's none. This fellowship thing, it speaks of fellowship, but it doesn't, I mean, let's go back to 1 John 1. Let's make sure we're fair here. Now, he doesn't quote it. And if you're going to make the argument... Right? I bet you one is Pentecostals claim they have those feelings. I know one is Pentecostals. Would they claim to have some of those feelings? They're lost. Catholics would claim to have those feelings. Believe they're saved. Greek Orthodox would claim to have those feelings. Coptic Christians would claim to have those, uh, those feelings. Okay, Mormons have a lot of feelings. Jehovah's Witnesses have a lot of feelings. A lot of people have a lot of feelings. And they all use that same kind of language. I felt the presence of God. And I felt peace. And I felt joy. And I felt, and I felt, and I felt, and I felt, and I felt. We're almost trained to speak that language. Now when, when the sanctuary is empty, and you're sitting at home on a Monday, are those same feelings present? Hopefully they are. But if they're not, what happens? According to this, how can you have assurance? You've got to have those feelings. Now, feelings are what? They're, they're, a, they're a couple of things. They're subjective. What else are they? What else are they? They fluctuate. Do your feelings change? I mean, there's sometimes probably some of you women here are like, I really love my husband, and there's probably times you feel not so like you love them. Now, the husbands always love the women as consistently, perfectly, 
and without flaws because we're perfect and women aren't. Okay, but you get you get the you, you, the point is feelings do what? They change all the time. So I mean, like the, this this is and, and let's let's continue to read though because they, they mentioned he mentioned fellowship, but he doesn't quote the rest of this, right? Right. This then is the message which we have heard of him. I'm reading verse 1 John chapter 1, verse 5. This is the message we've, which, which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. If we say that we have fellowship with him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not do, and do not the truth. Now stop right there. That's an objective test and that one scares me to death. Because now, now he, he, he focused on feelings. That's not feeling. John's like, no, no, you can claim fellowship all day. You can claim, oh, I feel this, and I feel this, and I feel, who cares about your feelings? Now here is an objective test. And what's the objective test of fellowship? How are you walking? If we say we have fellowship with him and we walk in darkness, we lie. And do not the truth. If we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one with another and the, and the blood of Jesus Christ, uh, the, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. Now, that puts fellowship in what category? This removes it from a feeling and it removes it to action. Like, in other words, I can claim fellowship all day. I can claim feelings all day. And, and again, I named all kinds of groups of Christians, charismatic Christians who I believe in many cases are completely lost because their, their doctrine is so messed up. They talk feelings all day. Just turn on TBN. They talk about it all day. No, he didn't go here. Now, y'all listen to the sermon, right? He, didn't, he never got to this part of fellowship. He kept fellowship in which category? All in feelings. It's right here. Now, he used 1 John as the test book and then he ignored the actual test. The actual test of fellowship is how you walk. It's not how you feel. It can't be. Because not everyone in this room feels the same way. Right? There's no way. How subjective, you know, hey, Bobby, you have to feel this way or Bobby's not safe. We, we've always made the joke that the church could burn down and Bobby be like, yeah, okay. Others would be laying on the floor. <laughs> Bobby, like, eh, okay, I don't know what the problem is. Okay. And, I, and I, I made the joke, like, he could win the lottery. He'd be like, okay, won the lottery. Ten million dollars. Right. Okay. No big deal. I'd be like, <laughs> I'd be screaming, running around. Okay, that, that's, you, you can't, that his feelings that he experiences in salvation are not going to be anywhere defiant. The, the same as someone else. Agreed? So then how, you see, when you put it in an experiential way, you, do you see just how, that, how, where that leaves you? Now I, now, I do agree. Fellowship here, fellowship isn't the test. The test is how you walk because that determines if you truly have fellowship, right? Now, here's the problem. That, that, I believe, is a test. The problem is, now let me ask, here's a, here's a, here's a, here's a million-dollar question. Okay. Well, no, no here, here's a million-dollar question. I wish Ms. Gussler was here because I know how she would answer this. Uh, Mr. Goodlett probably will answer this a certain way with his independent fundamental ba uh, background. 
Is fellowship and salvation the same? Can one lose fellowship and still be saved? Now, your independent fundamental Baptist is going to tell you what? Different, right? Now, I hope it's different, right? Because, because fellowship speaks of a closeness and intimacy. And he described a lot of that language. And I agree with some of that language. It's an int intimacy. It's a relationship. It's a, it, there's a feeling there. But you can be married... And not have and, be, and go through periods of not feeling intimate or close. Doesn't say that you're not married. I can be a Christian and yet my fellowship with God, my closeness to God, can be interrupted by sin and by walking in darkness. If we separate that, then fellowship and walking in darkness is not a test of salvation, it's a test of fellowship. Now we could argue whether fellowship and salvation are the same. If you make them the same, then what did you just argue? If you walk in darkness, you're not saved. Now, now what do we have to define? What does it mean to walk in darkness? Yeah, I mean, we could continue reading to go through some of the things it describes. So, so I think to make fellowship a test, I think, is, our, is wrong. I think fellowship is, should be an essential part of one's salvation. However, I believe my fellowship can be can go through stages, closeness, not close, because of sin. I, I think that that's, I, he's making a test for, he, he's making fellowship a test for salvation, and I would argue salvation and fellowship, fellowship is a part of my salvation, but fellowship is not a test of my salvation. All right, that's how I would, he doesn't even address this issue. If you're going to make it a test, you have to at least address the theological difference that there are not everyone agrees that fellowship and salvation are, are identical. Some agree that fellowship is a part of salvation, but you can lose your fellowship and still have your salvation. In fact, that's how I was taught a million times over, and especially in the Independent Fundamental Baptist Church, because they're like, why do you need to confess your sins if your sins are already forgiven? Because sin hurts your fellowship. You've all heard that, right? I bet you, I think even MacArthur has taught that. But he's contradicting that teaching here because he's making fellowship synonymous with. Yeah. Does everybody, everybody see that? Right? I mean, I, I, I can handle that because that, 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 that keeps me from getting confused because if I'm like, man, I'm not saved if I walk in darkness. Do I lose it? Do I get it back? Or do, you know, what? All right. All right, here's the second question. Are you sensitive to sin? Are you sensitive to sin? All right. He says, go back to chapter, or go back to chapter 1. All right. um, he says, read verse 5. All right. now, now he's going to go to verse 5. Now he's going to go to verse 5 for a second question. I don't know how you can go to the second question for verse 5, because shouldn't verse 5 be with question number 1 about fellowship? Like, I'm so confused, like... I don't, I don't understand. I don't even understand. I don't understand. I'm telling you, preaching, sometimes sermons just drive me to the point of I can't, I can't listen to sermons, okay? I can't. Here we go. This is the message which we have heard of him and declare unto you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. I don't know why he wants us to read verse 5. But yeah, that's the one he points out. All right. That's what he quotes. Now the point here is that the message which the Lord has sent uh, 
to us is about himself. The message is that God is absolutely sinless, absolutely holy, absolutely perfect, perfect, has no blemish, no sin, no ignorance. There is not literal there is not literally in the Greek a single bit of darkness in him. Um, now that's a basic foundational truth in this section. Okay, uh, great. God's without sin. Yeah. Right. That's what he's saying. Right. Yeah, exactly. If you if you equate darkness with sin, then if I sin, I don't know. Like, how do you? It's so confusing. Does everyone understand what Sarah is saying? That if, if the next verse, he, in fact, he reads this next verse, and immediately we come to verse six. Follows read. If we say that we have fellowship with Him and walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. In other words, if God is light all light, and nothing but light, and we are walking in darkness, then that's not fellowship with him. Okay, I don't know why this is in the second question. That seems to should go with the first question, but okay. Well, but now, you see what Sarah just said. If that's true, then you're arguing that some sins aren't dark, or not darkness. <laughs> this is the most ridiculous thing. I just, I just want to throw, I'm, going about to, I'm about to throw my iPad. Okay, I'm just going to, I'm just going to smash the thing in 50, I could just lose my mind right here. Do you guys understand the frustration? Like, it's just, it's just like in big circles. Hey, hey, you know what? Fellowship is essential for salvation. Now, you've got to be sensitive to sin. He goes to the next question. Now he goes back to the fellowship thing. Hey, guess what? If you walk in darkness, you don't have fellowship. That would prove that you're not saved. And darkness is equated to sin, and if darkness is equated to sin, that would seem to argue, if I, now he would say walk, and that just means continual or habitually, but we don't, we all continually and habitually commit sin. So no, it's only the same sin. All right, so. Okay. It just requires a whole, like, I, I, it requires a, a, I don't know what this is requires. It requires some way of thinking that I'm not familiar with, okay? Um, I don't know, but here we go. Um, so I'll read it again. Chapter 5, verse 1, we've read that. Points out another reference that speaks of the same issue. It says in verse 1, whoever believes that Jesus is the Christ, is born of God, and whoever, now, he's, he's, now I'm, I'm, hang on, I'm, I'm back up, I'm way, I got mad and messed my iPad up, and I'm rereading the first part of the sermon all right, here we go. Second question, are you sensitive to sin? Are you sensitive to sin? Go back to chapter 1 for a moment. This is a very important portion of Scripture. Verse 5, chapter 1, 1 John. This is the message which we have heard from him and announced to you that God is light and in him there is no darkness at all. Now the point here is that the message which the Lord has sent to us is about himself. The message is that God is absolutely sinless, absolutely holy, absolutely perfect, has no blemish, no sin. No ignorance. There is not literally in the Greek a single bit of darkness in him. Now that's the basic foundational truth to this section. And immediately we come to verse 6. Follow as I read. If we say that we have fellowship with him and yet walk in darkness, we lie and do not practice the truth. In other words, if God is light, all light, and nothing but light, and we are walking in darkness, then there is not fellowship with him. Verse 7, but if we walk in the light, as he himself is in the light, we have fellowship with one another, and the blood of Jesus, his son, cleanses us from all sin. 
If we say that we have no sin, we are deceiving ourselves and the truth is not in us. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and forgive us to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. If we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and his word is not in us. All right? I mean, there's a lot there to unpack, okay? Because if, I don't know, I won't even try to take it apart right now. So here are some people who say, yes, we know God. We fellowship with God. We walk with God. But the truth is they walk in sin and flatly and flatly what deny it. They are lots of people who are so utterly uh, oblivious that they think they're walking in the light when they're walking in the darkness. Now stop right here. Now what is this creating? There's some people who believe they're walking in light when they're walking in darkness. Well, this is subjective. Hey, some of you could be thinking you're walking in light, but you're really, well, how am I supposed to know if I'm walking in light? Hey, I, I don't know. Okay, hey, let's continue. Uh, there are lots of people who are so utterly oblivious that they think they're walking in the light when they're walking in the darkness. And walking in the darkness, uh, they, they claim to have no sin or not to have sinned at all. It is characteristic of an unregenerate, unbelieving person to be uh, utterly oblivious to the condition of sin within his life. That's what uh, John's point is. The man in verse 6 is not confessing sin because he doesn't think it's necessary. He doesn't even recognize it. He doesn't even acknowledge it. He just walks along in the darkness thinking he's communing with God. This man in verse 8 is not confessing sin because he thinks he's reached a state where he has no sin. The man in verse 10 is not confessing sin because he never has confessed it or acknowledged sin. Now stop right here. Now I want you to, to just think about this. Remember, he's talking about the second point is we're supposed to be sensitive to sin. He's not really getting us into how we're supposed to be sensitive to sin. But I want you to just follow the logic here and tell me what happened. We're going to leave MacArthur because he's confusing me to no end and how he's handling this. Let's, let's just take this apart, all right? You ready? Here we go. The argument is, the argument is what? That what proves your salvation? Well, let's go with his first point. Let's ignore his second point. Fellowship, right? Okay. Now, because he tries to add a second point here that makes no sense to me. Makes no sense to me because he's still seeming to go back to the fellowship idea. So we're going to follow the fellowship idea, but we're going to let 1 John follow the fellowship idea. And you tell me where this leads you. All right, you ready? Okay. MacArthur's confusing me. Let's see if I can confuse you more. But I'll confuse you in a logical way, not in an illogical way. All right, here we go. All right, so verse 3 sets up the fellowship idea. Agreed? He argues that's a test. Let's say it's a test. Everybody got it? All right, let's test it. All right, verse 5. This then is the message which we have heard of him and declaring to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. What would that be? If we're going to use test language, what would verse 5 be? And using test idea. How are tests uh, graded? You have an answer key, right? Right? Agreed? That the teacher has, you know, if you can break into the desk, you can do really good on your test. Okay? They have the key, right? They have the standard. That's the standard. Doesn't matter. Doesn't matter if you agree with the standard or disagree with the standard. It's the standard. I mean, I've, I've had major arguments with some professors before going, this can't be wrong, and then try to go page 8 of the book, 10 of the book, 15 of the book. 
history, logic, reason. You're wrong, okay? But it doesn't matter. Now, sometimes I was able to convince the professor, okay, you're right. Um, that, that would be correct as well. No, I'm like, okay, yeah, I know. I don't, you don't tell me I know I'm right, okay? But you get the idea. Typically, some teachers, it doesn't matter what you show, their key is correct. Now, in verse, so what would this be in verse 5? This is the standard, right? Okay? This then is the message which we have heard of him. And declare to you that God is light and in him is no darkness at all. A sinless God is the standard. Agreed? Okay. Now he's going to return back to fellowship. Would we agree that I'm correct there? Verse 6. If we say that we have fellowship with him, with whom? With a God who is what? Sinless. Right? And I and walk in darkness, we lie and do not the truth. Calling into question your claim of fellowship with God if you walk in darkness. Now, as Sarah's pointed out, if darkness equates to sin, then what does it mean to walk in sin? This is a, a question every Christian would have to have. Because if we say we all sin on a regular, consistent basis, then we're all in darkness and walking in it. Unless you're making an argument that it's only referencing certain kinds of The problem is the text doesn't define the darkness or what it is or what it means to walk in it. We, we could understand walk, it, walk in it means consistently. We could ar argue that, but we would also have to agree that we walk in darkness consistently. Yes? Okay. But he, here's what I want you to say. This is the thing that blows my mind because the way he's rendering this is confusing to me. All right? But if we walk in the light as he is in the light, we have fellowship one, uh, one with another, and the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanseth us from all sin. Right? Now, please note, if, verse, verse 8, if, next word, if, no, just the next word, if, if, we, if, all right, now, good Bible student, what's the obvious Who's the we? Now he's making an argument that he's now getting ready to describe unregenerate people. Right, remember? I just read it. Remember he made the argument? These are lost people. Lost people who, who uh, claim they have no sin. That's what a lost person does. Right? He says, if we. Agree? Does, does the NIV use we? Right? Everybody with me? You see, see what I'm trying to build here? Okay. Is it the third time he's used we? Yeah, look, that which was from the beginning, which we. No, wait, if we is referencing saved people, then you can't come. MacArthur turns this into a discussion of those who are lost. The unregenerate person will say they have no sin. He says, if we say. Do you, you see what I'm doing? I'm just, it's called reading? Okay, right, right, right? So what, what argument do you, would we have to uh, uh, assert at this point? Well, obviously, speaking to Christians, if we say we have no sin, we deceive ourselves and the truth is not in us. Now, wait right there. If he's referring to Christians, then verse 8 is arguing what? What is verse 8 arguing? Thinking caps on. Christians have, 
again. <laughs> Wait a minute. I thought if we walk in darkness. So somehow the application is obviously we can't, we have sin. We can't say that we don't. I mean, in it, we're a liar if we do. The truth is not in us. So we all have to acknowledge we have sin. Would everyone agree that this is the way it's written? So somehow I can have sin and still not meet the criteria of walking in darkness the way he's describing, correct? Uh, would everyone have to agree that that has to be a logical conclusion? So walking in darkness has to mean something more than just simply walking in sin, agreed? Because the way they're saying, if we say this, like, if I say I don't have sin, I'm a liar. Well, if I, if I say that I have sin, then that cannot equate to walking in darkness. Agreed? Right? Verse 9, if we confess our sins, why do I need to confess them? Because we all have sin, right? Well, he is faithful and just to forgive us our sins and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. So what could be a logical understanding of walking in darkness? What would be a logical understanding of walking in darkness then? Right? The logical uh, understanding would be this. To walk in darkness would be this. I don't think I have sin. I'm not worried about my sin. And I don't confess about my sin. I'm just walking in darkness. It's not about the fact that, hey, if you ever sin, because he's describing an entire process here, right? Does that make more sense logically from just a reading comprehension perspective? Instead of trying to turn this into some test, he's just making an argument. And even then, the argument is about fellowship, correct? And if I separate fellowship, then what could this mean? Um, if, if Joel or Eli claim to be Christians, right? They claim to be Christians, but they're walking in sin. They don't seem to care about sin. They don't seem to care about God, right? They don't, they don't, they're not confessing it. They're not worried about it. They're not bothered about it. Then we can make the argument that they have no fellowship with God. The only thing we can make an argument if we separate fellowship from salvation is that they're not currently in close fellowship with God. I can't make a judgment about their salvation, especially if I believe salvation is based off what? He's turning this into two separate tests. Well, if you, if you put these two tests together, it's a test of what? Fellowship. And the we in 8 and 9 and in verse 10, if we say that we have not sinned, we make him a liar and the word is not in us. We cannot say that we have not sinned. He's Listen to what he did there. He's separating this. The man, listen, the man in verse 6 is not confessing sin because he doesn't think he, it's necessary. He doesn't even recognize it. He doesn't even acknowledge it. He just walks along in the darkness thinking he's communion, communing with God. Well, I don't know, you know, okay, I guess he thinks he's communing with God. The man in verse 8 is not confessing sin because he thinks it's, uh, he's reached a state where he has no sin. The man in verse 10 is not confessing sin because he never has confessed it or acknowledged it. Um, and then they go on to describe this. The way he's describing this is this is the unregenerate man. That's not the unregenerate man. This is a saved person. Right? Um, 
This is, and I'm going to read this, we'll have to stop here. Three words describe these three viewpoints. The first word in verse 6 is darkness. The second word in verse 8 is deceit. And the third word in verse 10 will make uh, defamation. Because you make God a liar because God says that you have sinned. So here are people who claim to be Christians. He says these people claim to be Christians. John says, we... But he's arguing, no, 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 they just claim it. They just claim it. All right, so let me continue reading here. Um, so the, uh, here are people who claim to be Christians, but are utterly insensitive to the reality of their sinning. On the one hand, they think they can go on sinning and walk in darkness all they want, and even acknowledge it and still have fellowship with God. On the other hand, they can deny it altogether and think that they can walk and have fellowship with God. They're utterly insensitive to the reality of their condition. And the truth is they do not know God. They do not practice the truth. They deceive themselves. The truth is not in them. They make God a liar and his word is not in them. Uh, uh, there's an unbeliever, a person who, who isn't sensitive to his sinful condition. So he's saying these are lost people. Now if they're lost people, why is John saying, we, he started with we, in verse 1. Correct? So how do you all of a sudden jump down? Oh, now the verse 6, if the we, if we, in other words, what he's claiming, if we, this is how MacArthur's reading it, if we say these things, Right? Then we're lost. Now you could read it that way. Right? But then that's... So then I guess in order to be, sa to be saved, then all do I, well, guess what I just need to do? Just say that I, I'm a sinner. But he's, he's, he's making an argument. It's not about saying it. It's about being sensitive to it. But this does nowhere describe sensitivity. Agreed? Right? Okay. All right. Um, man, we're going to have to stop. He goes into a, a lengthy thing here, but basically he's making an, an argument that, hey, if you're truly a Christian, you're going to be sensitive to sin. It's going to bother you. You're going to be consumed with it. You're going to be, and I'm not arguing that that's not the case, but so far, this is what I will say. This is what I will say. If we take verse 6 and following, well, 6 is connected. I mean, this is all connected together. Do you agree? agree. Right? Would you agree that verse 5 to 10 is connected? Yes. Agreed? So then if we, if we say fellowship is separate from salvation, right, then the only thing this is testing is what? My closeness to God. Put it this way, is that a, a possible explanation to this? And I will argue that 6 through 10, <clears throat> if you want to say that, they're the un that, that this is the mark of an unregenerate person, I guess, but I mean, he's saying if we do these things, if we do these things, if we do these things, if we, if we, if we, if we, I think he's trying to make an argument that if we as Christians walk around saying, hey, we have no sin and that we think we're all good. I mean, well, put it this way. If you're, the whole thing just seems confusing because if, uh, if you argue that the, the, the fellowship is the test to salvation and if I walk in darkness and darkness is sin, then I'm not a Christian, right? 
then would I, ha would I not be led to have to confess that I'm not a sinner? Right. 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 But but you see my, my the point I'm trying to make is if if what if if MacArthur is right and that this is a test and that fellowship and salvation are, are, are synonymous, right? He's made an argument that you are not saved if oh he didn't really make the argument, but the text makes the argument because he avoided he avoided it completely. He turned fellowship all into a subjective feeling thing, but John gives us some uh, objective tests to it, right? So if I test fellowship and salvation are synonymous, right? Everybody with me? Right? I'll try to make this point and I'll end. They, they got this together, right? Then we read in 1 John that if I walk in darkness, what happens to me? I have no fellowship with God, therefore I am not saved. So if the, the only way I know that I can be saved, I would have to therefore argue I don't walk in darkness, which should lead me to doing what? Saying that I'm not sinning. <laughs> But if I say that I'm not sinning, then, well, according to MacArthur, I'm not saved. Well, how can it be both ways? If you, if you have fellowship with God, you don't walk in darkness. Okay, all right, I don't walk in darkness, guys. Darkness is synonymous with sin. I don't walk in sin. Therefore, I'm almost making a claim. I don't sin. But wait a minute. If I do that, according to MacArthur, I'm not saved. <laughs> the most ludicrous. That's a no-win proposition, right? It's like you can't win. If I walk in darkness, I'm lost. But if I say that I don't walk in darkness, I'm lost. MacArthur, what are you doing to me? Does everyone see how broken this is? Yes? All right, I think, I think, I hope you can see that. Now, I know trying to read that was, it's, I'm, trying, I'm trying to read the sermon as fast as I can because it takes a long time. And I apologize, for, I hate the way trying to read it and trying to stop, it breaks it all up and it doesn't flow the way it's supposed to. But please note, the sermon is in the Sermon and Bible Study Notes section. The, the, I, the, the presupposition is that everyone already listened to it so I don't have to be that perfect in reading it. So if you haven't, I want you to listen, I want you to, listen to MacArthur for himself and I want you to see if I'm presenting it I want you to make sure that I'm not being unfair to it. Does that make sense? But you see, I'm, I'm taking his sermon and, and looking at what he ignored. And he, he set up this whole fellowship as the first test. I go to 1 John. He, he just leaves out. Like he, he takes the fellowship part and jumps it to another test. I'm like, well, no, the two tests have to be combined. And if you put the two tests together, you have a walking contradiction. Hey, if I walk in darkness, guess what? I'm not saved. All right. I don't walk in darkness. Oh, wait, you're not saved. <laughs> what? It can't be both. Unless we do what? This is a test of fellowship, not a test of salvation. Then I don't have a problem with this. Do you? I don't know. We'll have to, we'll have to think. You have to think about that. Now, here, here's your test. Now, and, and you can you see... Um, make, come up with your best argument for why fellowship and salvation are not the same and try to come up with a good argument that they are the same. All right? 
You can, you can look up dictionaries. You can do whatever you want. I don't care. You can cheat. You can, I don't care what you do. Just come up with a good argument. Wouldn't you believe this is the most essential part here? All right, we'll stop. All right, Lord God, we come before you this morning. Lord, a lot of information, a lot of difficulty trying to read this and trying to uh, get everyone on the same page. Lord, I pray, though, that we have at least established uh, maybe a different way of understanding this supposed test that proves whether I'm saved or not saved. And Lord, maybe it's just a, a test pro proving whether I'm in fellowship with you or not in fellowship with you. Lord, I pray that our understanding of fellowship, our understanding of salvation will be strengthened by this and not uh, confused. And I pray that you will help us um, in trying to find out the truth. And we ask this in Jesus' name. And God's people said.